0: For me, that's the big thing with the Celtic team. You've got a chance to win 10 in a row. At least lose it working as hard as you possibly can. Not walking a bit. If we win our game in hand, we're almost
1: three points behind. For me, that's exactly why it has to go just now. If you look ahead to Sunday, and if Rangers win at Kilmarnock, it's a nine-point lead. Just absolute bamboozled that yeah, people
0: putting Neil home. Lennon out. There's no way you can get rid of Neil Lennon just now. The Goal Radio Football Show.
2: With Rob McLean, Ali Defoy and Stephen Cragan. Have your say. Call 08-08-17-1770. let us go! go.
1: And the story rolls on. Neil Lennon has been hitting out this afternoon at the hysteria, he says, is surrounding Celtic's mini slump. He says there's no justification for any sacking threat on the back of Celtic losing to Rangers and Milan and drawing in Aberdeen. Six points between the top two now in the Premiership. Celtic have a game in hand and not much time to catch a breath with two big European games coming our way on Thursday night and Celtic in the Scottish Cup semi-finals had the weekend, uh, leaving league leaders Rangers with the chance to go nine points in front in the title race. It's a story that aroused a lot of passion on last night's show and you can get involved again. Uh, we like to hear your opinions on the show and here's how you do it. Ali?
2: Absolutely. Give us a wee call 0808 17, 17 Drop us a text 87474. Put go at the start of your message or those football socials at quote, Football Show.
1: Lots of breaking news as well. Uh, we'll get some details for you in the course of the next couple of hours about the new format for the Scottish Cup. No replays. It's going to be uh, one uh, new uh, thing about the competition and uh, when it gets around of course we're just finishing <laughs> last season's competition with the semi-finals to come this weekend and then the Scottish Cup final before we get launched into uh, next season's or even this season's competition it feels like next season's uh, breaking news as well that Celtic captain Scott Brown uh, won't be facing any action after an alleged incident uh, during the Aberdeen Celtic match on Sunday there was a suggestion that he'd caught Scott Wright with an elbow as he shielded the ball But it's understood the Scottish FA compliance officer, Claire White, uh, will not be getting involved. Rob McLean, Ali Defoy and Stephen Cragan on the GOAT Radio football show for a Tuesday. Stephen, did you catch that incident at the weekend? Was there much in it? Was it worth getting excited about?
3: No, listen, I, I think when you speak about the compliance officer, any individual can complain or can put a player Uh, or put a player's incident in front of the compliance officer. So uh, Scott Brown, I think, was totally unaware of where Scott Wright was. He was initially on his right-hand side. He must have went round behind him. I think Scott Brown was kind of gesturing as if for someone to pick him up and he's caught him in the side of the face. So I think when you talk about an elbow and you talk about violent conduct, you have to throw it as a weapon. He didn't do that at all. He put his arm out straight and it just, unfortunately, Scott Wright was there. Scott Wright didn't make anything off it. I don't think any of the Aberdeen players made anything off it. Uh, and Willie Collum got it right. So I, listen, I think it's I think it's the right decision.
1: Lille against Celtic on Thursday. That's a five to six kickoff in France. Followed by Rangers against Lech Poznan. In the Europa League as well. Rangers looking to build on their winning start uh, to the group phase, playing the Polish side, currently about midway in the Polish League. Uh, haven't set the heather on fire so far. Rangers will hope to make it six out of six Scottish Cup semi finals at the weekend. Hearts and Hibs on Saturday at five and uh, Sunday afternoon for Celtic against Aberdeen. And of course, uh, that women's international um, is ongoing, alley at the moment, isn't it? Finland against Scotland in Helsinki Um, and I think if Scotland can make it four wins out of four by winning today they will go top of the group
2: Yes, it would be an exciting time of course it's their Euro 2022 qualifier tonight which started at 4.15 so we're well underway Um, I'll do a double check but I think it's currently still nil-nil at the moment but yeah could be a great night for Scotland
1: It's an intriguing one. It's Shelley Kerr, of course, against Anna Signol, who uh, for 12 years uh, was in that job. She was running the Scotland team. Now she's in charge um, at Finland, uh, who haven't played a competitive match for nearly a year. Can Scotland get another win? Having, uh, of course, won against Albania uh, by three goals to nil at Castle on Friday. Good luck to Scotland's women. That is ongoing at the moment. Kicked off at quarter past four. Uh,
2: Just gone into halftime. It's nil nil. Okay,
1: halftime goalless in that game in Helsinki. Uh, The big story of the day: Neil Lennon's response. to all the talk that's going on, with uh, some callers on the show last night very unhappy at recent results for Celtic and uh, some of them, in terms of their opinion, really diving off the, the deep end. Um, that's uh, prompted uh, Neil Lennon in his uh, media conference this afternoon to hit back at what he calls the hysteria. He'll be disappointed but then his hands
4: are tied if you've got so many changes to make I mean to have three or four players out with Covid it's not really their fault is it? Injuries we can't do much about you're only as good as the players that you have available and as long as eight players are given everything they've got it's hard for you to be critical of anybody it's very easy to judge somebody over three games judge him over the four years he did before that judge him over what he's done since he's come back before you start hanging yourself and calling for anybody to be changed in any way shape or form You'll be there for a while, and rightly so. Well,
5: I'm, I'm telling you, you know, it's media-driven. There's no question of that. There's a narrative that everybody, you know, wants to see a change. That's fine. That's just the way of the world. Um, the poison comes from either social media or it's picked up by you guys and put in your your reports or your articles or your, your newspapers or whatever. So I can't control that. What I can't control is what goes on in the training ground. Players are solid. They've made a really good start to the season, a lot better than previous seasons when we've won trophies. But this season of all season is, you know, that's, for me, it's another season. Whether we're going for a 10th title or a first title or a fifth title, we want to win the title.
1: Well, that was Neil Lennon today, uh, preceded by Kenny Dalgleish yesterday. Dalgleish was uh, looking ahead to the, the Cup semi-final at the weekend and giving his thoughts um, about Neil Lennon and uh, the, the reaction. Um, and from the Celtic manager himself uh, today, uh, Stephen Cragan, um, having a pretty strong go back at what he sees as just hy- hysteria based on three results in the space of a week.
3: Well, first of all, I wouldn't expect anything else of Neil Lennon. You know, for most of his career, he's had to fight against the odds. He's had other things going on in his life, on and off the pitch. So when it comes to managing the football club that he loves, it shouldn't just be a one-way argument where people can have a pop at Neil Lennon say what they want and don't expect him to come out fighting. So if I was a Celtic supporter, I would think, do you know what? I like that. I like his response. I like the fact he wants to come out and dig people out. And he talks about poison, because it's easy to write things and say things without any real meaning to it. Neil works with the players every day. He understands what's going on. Have they reached the heights of what he would like? Of course they haven't. But ultimately, they're three points behind, or sorry, six points behind Rangers with the game in hand. I think they're two points worse off than what they were this yeah. stage last season. I think Rangers are one point better off. So, um, Neil has to get things right. Ultimately, if they lost against Lille and lost against Aberdeen in the Scottish Cup semi-final on Sunday... Then I think things start to turn a little bit more because he goes four or five games without a win. But here, you know, I think Neil has earned the right to manage Celtic and he's earned the right to try and turn things around. Last season at Christmas time, the same noises, the same things were being said. He's tactically inept, he doesn't know what he's doing. And suddenly they hit a run of form and they went on and they, you know, comfortably would have won the league if the league had continued. uh, In the end, they got the championship anyway. So um, I think people, at this moment in time, Neil needs a little bit of support. You know, when you talk about Celtic supporters and what they bring and who they are and, 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 and the history they have with the club, their manager needs a little bit of help. Their team need a little bit of help. And I think digging people out and, and, and continually talking about the sack and putting the poison out that he's talking about isn't going to help Celtic push on for 10 in a row. It was always going to be an emotional season anyway, irrespective of what, what, where it went. If Rangers had had a poor start, they would have been clamoring the probably get rid of Stephen Gerrard they've started well I think that's the flip side Rangers have started well they've put a little bit of pressure on Celtic and Celtic have to earn the right to go and get the 10th title and Neil Lennon will know that it wasn't just a case of turning up rolling over everybody else and winning the title so for Neil Lennon to fight back absolutely
1: we had a lot of callers on the show last night Um, in the studio Cy Ferry and Barry Ferguson Um, the passions were rising among the the Celtic fans no doubt about that and uh, this was the reaction of our pair of pundits
0: you know, they didn't look like a team that there wasn't playing for the manager. You go to Aberdeen and score three goals. The thing that's happening is individual mistakes. You, as a manager, it's hard to, to take the blame for that. But ultimately he does need to because he picks the team. But for me, it's no it's not about tactics. Even the final third in the first half. Is it Neil Lennon's fault that boys keep crossing about the pitch? They're getting into the final third. The build up play to get there's good. It's that in bit of quality, that comes for players that's players that's no a manager can't tell you what to do in the final third can't tell you to beat a man and put a cross in that's, that's doing to players no, I'm yeah.
1: just absolute bamboozled yeah, people I know, are I it
0: out <laughs> I, 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 I don't know a man on a different planet yeah, here
1: I know on the planet Fergie <laughs> uh, it's making no great sense at the moment but uh, logic doesn't tend to prevail in these situations uh, Craig's it's uh, the mad mad world of Scottish football
3: Yeah, listen, Sai's talking about the attacking side of the game. I don't think there's any issue with the attacking side of the game. I think they've scored the same amount of goals as Rangers and they've played one game less. The issue is defensively. Last season they conceded 19 goals in 30 games. They've conceded 10 and 11 this season, Rob. Rangers have conceded three. So there's a difference right away. One team structurally have got the defence right. They haven't moved from a back four. Very seldom does he change his back four. Um, with regards to Neil Lennon, he's went from a three to a four. And, and and sometimes that isn't due, due to him wanting to be different. It's due to personnel.
1: It's based on having players available. Exactly. Or, or, or more to the point, well, not, not available. Exactly.
3: When you think of Beton, El Hamid. Julian. Uh, Christopher Julian. And actually, people might appreciate him a little bit more. Because last season, him and Christopher Ayer, as much as they had a tough time against Linden Dykes, earlier in the season, they had a tough time against Nicky Kabamba down at Kilmarnock. But that was only two or three games where you thought, you know they're up against it a little bit here. So in general, playing over the terms of the season, they've done quite well. So Sean Duffy's the one that everyone's firing the gun at, and it's it, you know he's he's new into the club. He's got the Celtic uh, history with regards to support as are Celtic supporters. I just wonder is that him carrying kind of an extra burden because when he knows it, I think he spoke ahead of the Aberdeen game at the weekend that when they lose or things don't go well. He knows his friends are on to him. The family's on to him. And that can weigh you down, Rob. You know, and as much as you're a passionate Celtic supporter and you want to win 10 in a row, the dream isn't for him at the minute to be sitting where they are and how they're playing. So he's made mistakes, no doubt about it. But you can't take away that he's a good player. And he will come round. And Neil Lennon needs him more than ever now. And you look around your squad and Neil Lennon looks at Scott Brown. He needs Scott Brown more than ever. He needs him to reaffirm the message you know what it's like to be a Celtic player, what it's like to be in tough times. I'm saying tough times. They've won 11 trophies out of 12. They're potentially three points behind Rangers in the title race. They've had a bad week. They conceded some poor goals.
1: They're two games away from a quadruple treble. Uh,
3: which seems incredible <laughs> that a manager they're wanting someone sacked. Because of this game, because of that game, the emotions boil over. The Old Firm game, how they were outplayed. The AC Milan game, second half, they were decent. Drawn at Aberdeen late on. The emotions just build all the time. And they're all just desperate for 10 in a row in any way they can get it. So um, I think sometimes in football, they say you have to be careful what you wish for. Neil Lennon's been there and done it. He knows how to win trophies. And I'm obviously a Celtic supporter. Certainly in the shorter term, the, sh- the short term moving forward, you've got to give him your backing.
1: What do you think uh, Celtic uh, manager Neil Lennon under pressure today he's had his response are you backing Neil Lennon 0808 08, 17 17 700 you might want to talk about Rangers 16 match unbeaten run and their 6 point lead at the top of the Premiership Craig you make an interesting point about Chris Julian I just wonder whether some, uh, some Celtic fans who've been criticising him might reappraise mm-hmm. at the moment because when you think of Chris Julian you, you associate him with some pretty big positive moments mm-hmm. for Celtic like the winning goal in the League Cup final for one thing
3: yeah and also scoring the winning goal I think against Lazio last year at home yep. in the Europa League Rob but what you, you kind of don't see from Christopher Julian is his recovery pace his good defending in 1v1 situations now look at the third goal against AC Milan when Shane Duffy got squared up in the edge of his own box it's late in the game the boy knocks the ball past him and scores and he hasn't got that kind of turn of pace Scott Wright and Sunday come on a couple of times and got um, Shane Duffy in a wide area And that's not his natural strength. Whereas Christopher Julian, I think, would cope with those situations and you wouldn't even speak about it just because you know he's got that uh, recovery pace. So I think they miss certain aspects of him. I think he's decent in the ball. He's quite happy to step into the game. He's been in Scotland a little bit longer than what uh, Shane Duffy has been. So suddenly a player who maybe some people have underestimated are starting to think, do you know what? Maybe he is the cog that we need. Maybe he's the one player who brings a little bit of composure and brings something a little bit different for us. Because you know, coming from a, a side like Brighton, Uh, listen I'm talking with Shane Duffy because he's the the hot topic but you know a a side like Brighton when you're defending your edge of your own box which has been spoken about before and you're defending crosses and everything's fine you can hit it and kick you're fine Celtic play a different way they play higher up the pitch they leave you exposed as a centre half you've got to go into wide areas and defend 1v1 and if that's not your natural game at 28-29 it takes you a little while to adapt your positioning has to be right your understanding has to be right your awareness of what people being uh, being around about you has to be right so I think he's struggling with that aspect at the game at the minute, whereas Christopher Julian would have been in the groove, and I think it would suit him.
1: Let's hear more from Neil Lennon reacting just a short time ago to those who want him sacked. We've lost one game in the league, and you know pundits are talking about me being two
5: games away from the sack. Where that comes from, no idea. Um, players getting singled out, players getting abused, players getting criticised. I think it's absolutely shocking. If that's the way of the modern world, I'm glad I'm not a player anymore. And I'm glad I played when, when it did 20 years ago. But um, it's all right, you know, saying you have to be strong and blah, blah. They are strong. They've proved that time and time again. And I have every faith in the players that we will have another, you know, stellar season.
1: Neil Lennon's coming out fighting today, isn't he? I mean, there was a lot of talk yesterday on the show from Celtic fans about his body language, sitting in the dugout at Pataudry, almost an air of resignation about him, not, the, not what they perceive to be the Neil Lennon on the touchline. Um, is that more like himself today?
3: Yeah, it is. But I think sometimes managers are allowed to have moments to sit and think you know, rather than get all that emotional because there's nothing worse. He's talking about if his players are having a bad time, they conceded a bad goal, the last thing you need to do is look at the touchline and see a manager jumping up and down going bonkers. That puts them further into themselves, Rob, and sometimes can force you into more mistakes. So he's maybe just taking that approach. I think he's mellowed throughout his managerial days, no doubt about it. Uh, managers are a little bit of thinking time just to kind of be on your own and, and, and kind of assess the situation as opposed to just going in head first and trying to made it even from the touchline. So um, I think anybody who thought it was a look of resignation... Certainly after listening to him today, that isn't the case. And I think he touched on it earlier on, it's more a, a, a kind of generational thing about change. Everybody wants change. You know, we change our phones regularly, our cars, our laptops, our iPads. Everything's just changed, everything's instant for us. We want change, we want it now. You know, whereas football sometimes has to be a bit more patient and I would like to think the Celtic board will take themselves away from that and have a look down and see what's going on and speak to people around the the training ground and, and assess it with a more uh, mature understanding as opposed to just change let's make change who we're bringing in we don't know but you, you know we'll just make change anyway so Neil Lennon has been there he understands uh, the job he understands the criticism that's coming his way he just thinks when it gets personal and people are getting dug out and people are putting articles I think it's a little bit unfair and he's right listen I think you speak to a lot of ex-players nowadays they're glad they played back then when there yeah. wasn't all this social media You never mind being judged per game you're being judged per minute or per second in that game there's comments coming out before the game's even over you know, before there's even five minutes gone in the game so it is a difficult mentality and for players to think or for people to think it doesn't affect players it does
1: and there's no doubt the Celtic manager sees it as a media-driven frenzy.
3: You know, I've, I've seen two newspapers run
5: polls. I've never seen it before on whether I should be sacked or not. Never seen it before in 20 years I've been up here. So who's driving that? It's not the Celtic fans. And I think there are a minority of our support need to calm down. We need to let the, the players settle. It's been very disruptive the last few weeks. I'm not using that as an excuse, but... You know, our form going into the international break compared to the form coming back out of it, it's it's different because of all the disruption that we've had. Now, fans may not want to buy into that. I can't agree with them, but I think it's far too early to be casting aspersions of the team. If if they can't enjoy this season, then I don't know what
1: season they can enjoy. And he's a human being and he's clearly feeling it. Sometimes yeah. it gets personal. Well, he gets frustrated because there always seems to be
3: a headline surrounding Neil Lennon. Whether he's winning something or whether he's not, Rob, there always seems to be something that follows Neil around. I think it's very unfair because he's, he's he's proved to Celtic fans he can win trophies. He's proved how much the football club means to him. But ultimately, you know, he's talking about the fans enjoying season number ten. They only will enjoy it if they win, this, you know, the Scottish Premiership at the end of it. It's too early to judge on that just now. Rangers are slightly ahead. They're on the front foot. It's all work for Celtic to do, but it's not something they haven't done before.
1: And you can have your say on Neil Lennon. What do you think? Get in touch with us. Get on the show. Get involved. Oh eight oh eight seventeen seventeen seven hundred.
5: The Bull Radio Football Show. Let's go
1: that's Ali Defoy Rob McLean and Stephen Cragan on Tuesday's Go Radio Football Show 5 till 7 Monday to Friday get yourselves involved uh, you too can be a part of the show not good news for Scotland's women who've gone a goal down in their match in Helsinki against uh, Finland it's Finland 1 Scotland 0 in the Euro qualifiers but still plenty of time into the second half of the match still plenty of time for uh, Shelly Kerr's team to hit back that's the latest score in This afternoon, Neil Lennon has been uh, hitting back at the hysteria, as he calls it, surrounding uh, Celtic's recent results in the past week. He says no justification for any sacking threat. And he tells the... Celtic fans who are uh, maybe calling for his head to keep calm. Big games coming up, of course, for Celtic in France against Lille on Thursday. And uh, they are in the Scottish Cup semi-finals, of course, against Aberdeen at the weekend. We ended last night's show uh, talking about football and mental health after... The tragic death of the Manchester City Academy star Jeremy Whiston, um, who was found dead, dying at the age of 17. Tragic news. And uh, Sai and uh, Barry uh, were talking just about the general issue of football and mental health and how much uh, we do to try to cope with it. I do worry about it. I see it happen lots of times. Young guys... Get let go for the clubs and they, they just um, go off the rails. It's it's no nice to see the things. I just hope our PFA up here, an English
6: PFA down in down in England, need to get some sort of support yeah, for these people. It's tough. I went for actually
0: the the league play, the league one player final with Swindon. Two years later, going part time with Peterhead, and I, I left Dundee for a full time job, wife, two kids, a house mortgage to pay. and Thinking, what am I going to do? How tough was that? What did you think? It's hard to go and do the night shift in the Royal Mail. Eh? And I had to walk to Springburn for the steps, and I remember thinking, wow, wow. What, what has happened to me, man?
1: I was sighing. and Barry with Paul and myself on, uh, on last night's show. Let's uh, continue the discussion with uh, Aaron Connolly. Hi, Aaron. Hi, how are you doing?
6: Thanks Good. for having me on.
1: Not at all. It's a real pleasure to, to have you on. How, how are you these days? I'm well, thank you. Uh, I'm very well. I think it's appropriate at this stage
6: to pass on my condolences to Jeremy Weston and his family. Um, for what is heartbreaking tragic news.
1: Yeah. Uh, and you understand exactly where these stories come from um, because you uh, attempted suicide yourself, didn't you, just uh, a year and a half ago, Aaron?
6: Yeah, in uh, April 2019. Um, after living with depression and anxiety for all of my adult life and a lot of childhood, uh, probably undiagnosed then, uh, I sort of felt like suicide was my only way yeah. out. Uh, fortunately, I'm here today to tell the tale, uh, and I'm here today to try and support and help others who are, who are going through it and who are suffering. And you know, I'm sure we'll touch on it. But uh, I was also an academy player at a handful of clubs, and, and upon being released and, uh, and listening to Barry and Si last night, uh, I actually was saying I think clubs can do more for the, for the young players.
1: Where, where were you an academy player?
6: Uh, so I, I was full time at Hibs initially. Um, as a kid at 16 I moved through from Glasgow to Edinburgh I didn't cope with the change well at all it was probably the early signs of my anxiety uh, and depression at that age as you can imagine taking a kid out of his home and moving away 45 miles and and three months into a three year contract uh, I approached the club and asked them to rip it up Uh, and I sadly left Easter Road that day the the club never once checked up on me following that and I went homeless straight from Easter Road that day and what then? And then I slowly pieced my life um, back together uh, with the support of family and stuff eventually once people identified where I was and, and, I, and found out I was homeless. And, and I got back into football and I probably gained a bit of a love for it again and, and joined A United and, and broke into the first team. And once again, my undiagnosed mental health issues, my anxiety uh, and depression, really weirded their ugly head again. And again, I... I you know, for about six months didn't go to training just feigned injury didn't really speak to the manager didn't speak to anyone about what was going on and in fact I was never formally released from United, I didn't even go to the end of season meeting, I just never went back uh, and again you know, a lot of that was on me uh, and I can hold my hands up and said that I could have dealt with things a lot better I had no real understanding at that stage what I was going through but I would like to hope if there was kids out there today who were maybe suffering the way I was that they would be at least asked the question and, and support services and a support network would have been put in
1: place for them. It sounds horrendous um to think about that lack of care, that lack of attention and, and it wasn't so long ago either. No, so we're
6: talking, you know, thirteen years ago at Hibs and, and ten years ago at Air. So it isn't long ago, but I think what we have seen in that time in fairness is we have seen a real societal shift. And we've seen mental health really come to the forefront and people really open up and, and begin to understand it. I think the education around it is slowly improving and, and, and will continue to get better, I hope. And hopefully clubs will continue to take it more seriously uh, and to take the player. I think it's aftercare, you know, and I think I think some great point as well, especially in Scotland, where there isn't a great deal of money in the game up here. As I himself spoke about it, you know, players who are of an older age who perhaps drop from full-time to part-time contracts and the, the trauma and impact that can have on lives. I just think clubs as a whole can do a lot more to support their players, to support the players' well-being both mentally and emotionally. Um, and I just believe that you know football, I understand it's a performance sport and we need to get the best out of players on the pitch, but we need to look at them less as a commodity and more like human beings at times.
2: I guess, as you say, Aaron, if you think about the money, it doesn't cost that much to pick up the phone and give someone a phone call and check up on them just afterwards, does it?
6: No, and I think that, you know, looking at my own personal experience, and I know other people of my age who have had similar experiences, it wouldn't have cost much for Hibbs to pick up the phone to me, you know, a couple of months down the line, having to let me walk away at 16 years old and just see how I was getting on, but that never happened. And it's my story and sadly I I had to go homeless and stuff and there was a whole load of issues after that. But hopefully most other people don't go through what I had to. But if the club had checked in on me, perhaps I could have gotten help quicker uh, and I wouldn't have went through some of the trauma that I did.
1: And and presumably with you, Aaron, it was a a progressive thing and a cumulative thing as the the years went by.
6: Absolutely. I mean, I think I was taken into... uh, of the academy from nine years old and from nine years old up until 16 you know I was being told and probably rightly so trying to build my confidence but telling me that I, I could achieve anything I wanted to achieve and that, that I could go and have a really good career and when I went full time and that didn't perhaps pan out how I'd hoped and I really didn't cope with the shift and the move I didn't convey myself properly I should caveat it and say that I probably didn't speak about it properly but no one ever approached me to ask why I was skipping training or why I was going home to Glasgow night and getting a bus at six in the morning. No one questioned my behaviours because the focus was purely on oh, what are they performing like in training or what are the other 20 boys performing like in training. And it just led to an accumulative, as you say, Rob, where my life just took a spiral for a long time in my adult life. You know, it really impacted my confidence. It really impacted my self-esteem. I felt a lot of my adult life like I'd let everyone down. You know, my family had taken me all over the country as a kid. You know, I had this dream of being a professional footballer. Perhaps I I wasn't good enough anyway, but I probably didn't get a fair opportunity at it. And I just felt like for a long time I I had let everyone down and it it always clouded my life. It was always this thing that was hanging over me for a long, long time.
3: Aaron, first of all, I have to say it's an incredibly moving, uh, powerful and an emotional story. I know it's something that's going to stay with you um, the rest of your life and you will, fingers crossed, continue to fight and keep going. Um, as that younger player coming through when you were having the disappointments and you weren't going to training, did you ever think to yourself, there's something not right here? You know, it's just, you know, I'm just trying to think of young players coming through today and going through those emotions. And almost, yeah, I mean, you know, trying to get you to relate to them.
6: Yeah, when it was me personally, I just thought it was a bit strange. I just thought you know, I was really quiet, I was really timid. I just thought I was homesick more than anything else, and, and potentially it was, and there was something underlying from the homesickness. But I always kind of put it towards homesickness, and, and until you know, when I got a bit older and I broke into the first team at air, I just felt like luck was against me, and I blamed a lot. I didn't look internally, to be honest, Stephen. Uh, I probably could have, but at the same time, I was a kid, and I, I could have helped. I could have been helped with some guidance and I just didn't get that at the time and it made it really difficult for me and I'm saying all of this retrospectively of course and I'm not meaning to have a go at anyone who was involved or anything like that at the time but I mean, I was 16 and then laterally you know, 19 almost, I mean 20 I would have, if I was a coach now uh, I would like to think I would put my arm around my players and if I'd noticed any behaviours such as the ones that I was, I was partaking in.
3: I think there's also a lot of expectation on young players nowadays. You know, we all follow social media and we see the world's superstars and we see the lifestyle they live and everything that goes with it and the success and the glory, that's all we get to see from the outside. But, you know, you touched on it yourself that probably in young footballers there's more disappointing stories than there is success stories. And it's how then we deal with that moving forward, that there is going to be a fallout and having something in place, something in plan, whether it's per club, whether it's per country, whether it's per PFA. Something where these young kids can actually go and ask for help and get direction, get guidance.
6: 100%. It's got to be a duty of care because regardless of whether the clubs tell you it will or it won't. You know, being in an academy and putting so much effort into it, at times I was training four nights a week. Mm-hmm. You know, my school homework, everything became secondary. And that, was, that it was being actively encouraged because I should be putting everything into trying to be a professional football player. So if if they're going to ask for that level of commitment from any young player, then I just think there should be a duty of care to say, like, if this doesn't work out, then we're going to help you with the next stage or next aspect of your life. And for me personally, again, that that just didn't happen
2: and It's about getting that conversation going isn't it and you might not as you say at 16 year old know what's wrong with you but you might just know you just don't feel right and and to have somebody to ask you or to have somewhere to to phone and speak to someone I mean what organisations what help is out there for younger players and of course adults as well because during the current climate it's not just about youngsters losing their sort of dream it's lots of people.
6: Yeah, I think what we're seeing is a real rise in the sort of organisations stepping in where the services are stretched. Uh, You know, like at Samaritan's breathing Space, I myself run an organisation called Time to Tackle, and that's a shameless plug where we use football for good. (laughs) Um, But yeah, there are lots of people who are willing to listen and willing to help, uh, and I think the PFA and the football clubs and all these associations probably need to work more collaboratively uh, with these types of organisations. I'm not going to come on here and shame the PFA, I think there's so much more what can be done, and so much more collaboration uh, can be done. And and use people like myself and other kids, other other adults who perhaps have gone through, you know, difficult times, potentially triggered by the failure to make football, and use our experiences to make the experiences for the next generation that little bit better.
1: I think I think Barry made that point last night, didn't he, on the show that, that, that the the PFA could certainly be doing more. The Scottish authorities in general could be, could be doing a, a lot more. Aaron, I mean, it's a it's a shocking image when we go back a year and a half. The the just the thought of you standing beside the train tracks, but uh, I mean, it, it it is an image that that I guess helps drive home the message uh, as we try to communicate better and and be a better support to young footballers who, who get into your sort of situation.
6: Absolutely, I think the the story is hard and it's hard to hear and it's it's hard to to speak about at times. But what it gave me for the first time in my life was a real gratitude for life and a real understanding about what I could do better uh, and the support services that I could access. And then how I could potentially help signpost others onto that. So as much as it, it, you know, it's heartbreaking for others to hear, it also helped me onto a really, really different stage in my life and took me on a really different path. And I'm so grateful to still be here today, uh, to have opportunities like this, to come onto you know, a massive football show and speak about my experiences. And perhaps if we reach one person out there who's listening, who says, I feel a bit like maybe he does at 16, I'm going to tell someone, then Mm. we've absolutely done our job tonight.
1: And um, for for you, is it an ongoing ongoing battle?
6: Yes, it's absolutely an ongoing battle. You know, I live with depression every day. It's been a long time since I felt really low. Um, You know, I changed my recovery from going... I spent just over a month in hospital in a psychiatric ward after everything that happened. And that changed my life completely because it forced me into engaging in recovery that I hadn't I hadn't done before. It forced me to take stock and to look inward a bit more and understand my thoughts and feelings better. I went through therapy and, and now studying and things like that. And obviously, as I say, alongside my wife, Siobhan, we launched a, a mental health support group um, where we put on sessions what we call football therapy but using football to get people out of the house to get people smiling, running about, having fun and then we give them a safe space and environment to come into a room afterwards and just have a chat and, and the the power of talking, the power of opening up to, to people who perhaps have similar lived experiences and can maybe help point you in the right direction uh, is
1: immeasurable. And your son rudy has been central to all of this as well.
6: My son is yeah he's he's the guiding light in my life to be honest Um, uh, and we actually have twins on the way as well which I'm sure will make my life life interesting thank you (laughs) but that will make life interesting I'm sure but yeah my son is the reason the main reason I get up every day you know I'm now coaching him uh, again my life centres and revolves around football as much as I can I love it as much as the next person Uh, and I want you know young kids coming through this country just to love the football to enjoy it to if they have things going on, to have somebody they can speak about that so that when they are on the training pitch and when they are on a pitch on a Saturday, they're playing with freedom, they're playing with enjoyment and they're getting the best out of themselves.
3: See, I think that's the key thing you've touched on at the air is actually enjoy it. <coughs> because you spoke about the academy system and listen, I've only watched it from the outside briefly, but you're talking four nights a week, you're talking a weekend, you know, when things are in full flow and before COVID was here and there is such a pressure and expectation on the kids to just focus on it. It ends up becoming... You know, you know, it's like yourself, you're continually, not forced into something, but if you're continually doing the same thing, you can get fed up and you can, you know, fall out of love with the game. And I think that message you're giving us is, is trying to encourage young people to love the game, love what they're doing, first and foremost, play with enjoyment and then see where it takes you after that. But and I think you would be incredible to go into football clubs. I'm not even talking academies, I'm talking players between 16 and 18 who are full-time at football clubs and actually sit and have a conversation. Because they're the one player, not the one player, that's the kind of group of players that, that if it doesn't work in two years, they're out and they're back to square one yeah. again. So that kind of message you're bringing across, I think would be absolutely be so touching, it would be so real for them, so authentic, where they can actually think, wow, this is the real story. So I would hope that football clubs or even the PFA would be in touch with you to try and get you out speaking to young players as a wonderful example of how you can turn your life around.
1: Yeah, that would certainly be a step forward, wouldn't it? And it's worth, before you go, Aaron, another another plug for Time to Tackle, the, your, your therapy group and how, how people can get yeah. in touch with that.
6: Yeah, so Time to Tackle, as I say, we believe in using football for good. We we believe in taking the performance and ability out of it and just playing for fun. Uh, myself and Siobhan, my wife, started it just almost a year ago to the day, actually. Uh, we are obviously on hold at the minute because of COVID, but usually you can find us at Glasgow Green between 7 and 9 o'clock on a Wednesday night or at Goals in Shorelands between three and five on a Sunday. We're also launching in the region of ten new groups once we get the COVID regulations uh, reduced in and we're able to do so. So You'll find us at Time to Tackle on Twitter. Uh, you'll find us at timetotackle.co.uk if you want to look at our website. And if you want to drop us an email to get in touch, it's info at timetotackle.co.uk.
1: Well, hopefully we can talk again because uh, that has been really uplifting and inspiring and, and really positive as well. And hopefully um, you can continue to do a, a whole lot of good and and certainly talking uh, just talking about it does so much good anyway. So really good to hear from you, Aaron. Thank you. Thank Thanks you for so coming much, guys. on. Cheers. Cheers, Aaron. On the Goat Radio Football Show.
5: The Goat Radio Football
4: Show. Let's go!
1: into the last 20 minutes in Helsinki and uh, Scotland's women trailing to Finland by a goal to nil. Let's hope Shelley Shelley Kerr's side uh, can come up with a response in the closing stages of that uh, Euro 2022 qualifier. Uh, News this afternoon that uh, Neil Lennon hitting back at all the criticism, the hysteria as he calls it, uh, surrounding Celtic's recent results over the last week. Uh, A media-driven frenzy is his take on what is happening at the moment with some Celtic fans calling for his head. Stay calm, he says, with uh, some great chat on the Go Radio football show just before uh, the uh, promo for the breakfast show with uh, Aaron Connolly talking football and mental health. And uh, and I know that subject that's a subject that's very close to the heart of our next guest on the show, who is the Motherwell Chief Executive, Alan Burrows.
7: Hi, Rob. How are
1: you? Very well, Alan. Yourself?
7: Yeah, I... Surviving is
1: probably the best. Yeah, well, exactly. Um, I don't know if you caught any of uh, of of Aaron, but I'm sure you've heard heard him before um, talking about his experiences, uh, and and his, the, what he is doing, the steps he's taking to try to help uh, the the issue, the big issue. It's a it's a massive one, isn't it? Isn't it football, mental health, suicide awareness, all the rest of it? Uh, something that Motherwell Football Club are very closely attached to.
7: Yeah, I've heard uh, Aaron on a number of occasions. In fact, he's actually done some work with the club and through our community trust where we've had anonymous student calls. We could effectively log in, um, not turn your camera on, but listen to his show and experiences. And we've opened that up to our supporters during this lockdown period. So, you know, as much as I missed him on the show and just there, uh, I'm very familiar with his story and and, and some of the um, fantastic advice that he's been able to, to give out on the back of... of you know, thankfully, thankfully, um, managing to save himself, um, you know, a year or so ago, but before he made that, um, before he made that decision. But yeah, as a um, as a topic, sadly, very close to Mother football club's heart. Um, you know, all the talk of a pandemic at the moment throughout society has got all our minds. But unfortunately, we've been living with a suicide pandemic in West Central Scotland for for a good number of years without all the kind of media attention and scrutiny that the, the, the current COVID-19 one has had, obviously. Um, but so therefore, we've been involved right at the, at the coal face for a very long period of time now, trying to raise awareness, not only for footballers, and obviously the tragic case with Man City, which we've been discussing, but just obviously the general population, our own supporters, people at our club, people that Stephen Craig, and one of your guests, will know well our football club where we've had our own um, tragedies um, over the last uh, 10, 15 years, both with players and members of staff. So, yeah, it's, been a, it's a very difficult topic, but I think it's very encouraging that you get shows like this now hopefully talking about it and shining a light on it because um, that's the only way we're going to um, start fighting back.
1: Does Scottish football generally do enough?
7: Um, no, but I think the, the difficulty... Uh, it's, like, it's like anything... You know we're football clubs, and we have a, a, a we have a you know everything's all the focus at times. You know rightly or wrongly is on Saturday, and we're all obsessed with results and how things go. And and, and I think that often takes up too much of our time and our thought process um, because uh, you know that's the that's the be all and end all you like. So, um, but you know I, I'm reticent to criticise clubs. You know for for what they do or what they don't do because I don't really know enough information. I think generally, and anecdotally. I think we could all be doing more. I think in every walk of life, we should always be asking ourselves, can we do more to help? Uh, I know at Marlowe Football Club, as much as we, um, you know, try and raise as much awareness of this topic as possible, I still think that we can do far more, both internally and externally, to try and help in this matter. But, you know, I think it's a, I think it's a huge issue. Um, I think it's becoming a more prevalent issue with young footballers and just, um, not about I say young footballers, footballers in general, males, there's so much... Um, there's so much pressure now applied in football. There's so many there's so much scrutiny applied to footballers. Um and in fact the end in public life that I think we ought to really be thinking hard about how we can help people. Um and that, that that's that's not just, you know, the, the young guys coming through the academy, which we're seeing at City, but all the way up to the experienced pros at the, at the end of their careers. All everybody has their own issues and problems. They're all different. Um but they're all equally um noteworthy and all, all equally worth of help. As far your, as I'm
1: concerned. your your story, Alan's an amazing one. Um, the the mother wall football fan who who became the chief executive with a with a, a spell as head of communications and a spell as general manager in between. I mean the it's been a, an unbelievable climbing of the ladder, and and it must be um, it must be just a great story to hear for lots of people and to realise that yes, you can do this. It might seem unthinkable from from your starting position, but it can be done.
7: Uh,
1: yeah, uh, listen. There's,
7: <laughs> uh, i always going to be a bit embarrassed, I'm from the west of Scotland, so nobody's quite <laughs> like talking about themselves and what they've done, but um, I, I've listened to Craigs and others on your show and all this, I, I've worked hard at it, you know, I've, uh, and, and sometimes I think we often um, forget just to work hard, everybody's got strategies and theories and everybody's got this kind of grand plan, but actually sometimes people just forget to graft and get their sleeve rolled up and muck in. And I think that's what I've always tried to do throughout my life. So if I I can provide any inspiration from anybody at any particular point about, you know, you're right starting at the very, very bottom of the club. I mean, I I left a job at the local authority to take a pay cut and come and work and update the website in Motherwell. And thanks to guys like Stephen Craig and others um, helped me in a a journey that took me from, as you mentioned, from there to head of communications to general manager to chief exec. But, you know, know, that's as much as I want to talk about myself. I just, you know... if I can encourage to great, fine. If you can, can, can work hard, I think you can achieve any of your dreams. And similarly, and going back to the topic we've just talked about, I think it's very important to say that regardless of how bleak or, or how many problems you think you've got or wherever you think you're at a, a, a place where you can't go any further, I think there's always help. And I think that's the most important message that you can get out in any situation. Um, there's always help available. There's always people who talk. There's always people who can, um, you know, get you through any pickle no matter how deep in it you think you are. Um, that would be very much my, my message tonight to anybody is there's so many pe- great people out there to help um and use it if you need it.
3: So I think Rob missed out first team manager on the rare occasion, Flow, <laughs> <laughs> I think I think that was the only job Rob missed there. I'm sure Stephen will enjoy that one. But just looking at your season as a whole, you know, we'll move it on to football a little bit. But three wins and four, I know you're an emotional man, you would have had a few stresses after the start of the season, but three wins and four, things are starting to look up.
7: Yeah, I think so, but I think the key. Listen, you, you know, I'm, I'm I kick every ball in sure. fact, and I'm too heavy to kick the balls. To be fair, but the um, but the, the reality is, I think 13 years in this club have taught me that you've got to try and be um, less. I was I, I was always, I, I always it the like, you know it, you have got to be less up and down if you like. I you know there's kind of rich and me saying that, but. Um, when I looked at the games at the start of the season, I think we were playing well, cracks. Mm-hmm. I think there was a lot of decent performances. I just think there was just a wee bit missing in terms of, and I'm paraphrasing the manager here, but, you know, just a bit missing in terms of the final third and getting goals and converting chances. Um, so when you're at that, together with the amount of injuries we had, there was certainly nobody at our place, and I, and I can absolutely assure everybody that there was absolutely nobody at our place panicking in any way, shape, or form. That said, like you say, um, you know, the, the longer it goes, the more under pressure people start to feel, the more... Less relaxed you get about it, but you know I've got utmost faith, in I at the club. I always have utmost faith in Stephen at all times, and everything he's doing. We think he's a fantastic manager, and he's done a great job for us. So it's been really encouraging, for, as you say, in three of the last four matches, uh, and, and domestically that we've that, that we've mm-hmm. won. Um, the, the only one we've lost is, 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 a, is a sparkling, uh, you know, Rangers who are in sparkling form, obviously. Um, so yeah, I mean, there, there's a, there's a lot to be to be positive about. Um, we've still got a big injury list and, and I think that makes that, that three and a four run even more remarkable. But yeah, I, th- I think there's, there's stuff to be positive about for sure.
3: You've you done an interview over the weekend, didn't you? And you spoke about the job that Stephen has to do. He has to produce players. He's got to sell players. He's got to replace, uh, sorry, recruit other players to replace them, be competitive on the pitch and win games. Yeah. It's quite a job yeah. he has to do. And to be fair, yeah. you know when you look at cup finals, selling players, European football, He's been really productive over the what three and a half years he's been there.
7: Yeah, re, re, I would use the one remarkable Craigs, to be honest, um, and, and I'm saying that as you know, it, you're right. The other you've described it's almost like the it's almost like the worst job description in the world, isn't it? The, you you know um, produce good players so we can sell them. You know, continue to get good results, continue to cultivate young boys from the academy and play them all together. You know, so we listen. But to feel Stephen, would be the first to say he knew the job that he was taking on when he took it on. He he, 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 he totally understands the model of the club and the people who work at the club um, so I think that's the, that's the first really important thing to say but you know you're right if, when he first brought him in if you remember it was to try and keep us up we've done that um, the second season he got us to two cup finals and was like we're 18 points off the, the relegation place which is great the next season I think we improved on our points tally and we're further away from the bottom and obviously last season he took us to third place European football and as you mentioned through that the, one of the, the huge key components of how our model runs is developing young players through the academy into the first team, and you obviously played a big right part of that in your time at the club. And you know, I've not had a chance to publicly thank you for that, but I will because you've, you've done a great job there. Um, but also, you know, produce those players to be it to see but also with Martin Foyle bringing players in, recruiting them, playing well, hopefully doing well on the pitch and selling them in as well. So, it, yeah, you know, it, it's it's almost like a, a jack of all trade jobs when you're the manager. It's almost a I I described it to, to in the newspaper article, although it never got carried at the time that. It's almost Stephen's almost like a like the old fashioned manager, if you like, in a sense. Mm. Where you got so many head coaches now who have got such diminished responsibility for just pick the team on Saturday and train the players. Stephen's very much of the the old mould where it's you know you're involved in player transfers, you're involved in recruitment, you're involved in hiring all your staff, you're involved in every asset of aspect of the football department, and I think that suits Stephen and it suits us. So I think it's a good fit for both of us.
1: Just just one before you go, Alan. How is Motherwell surviving at the moment um, in terms of? the the balance sheet how how are things looking how tough is it?
7: Uh, of oh, course it's, it's exceptionally tough for everybody Rob um, you know Scottish football as an industry probably more than most when it comes to football um, relies so heavily on the support we're a fan owned club we're the only fully fan owned club in the Scottish Premiership so supporters and, and, and the money and, and the, the, the revenue that they generate is, is key critical for us uh, where we have, where we, things have have went fairly well for us in 2020, and I did, I refer back to the newspaper called, I did our newspaper article did at the weekend, you know, through our through our good work with with Steve and Martin Foyle and and other guys in the academy, we sold James Scott in January to Hull City, we sold David Turnbull in the summer to Celtic. Um, and in the absence of those two things, I think the picture would be a lot, lot more difficult for us at this moment in time. I'm not seeing, um, baby, I'm not seeing for a minute that it's not difficult. But I no. think it would just be exceptionally difficult yeah. um, had those two things not happened. But yeah, I mean, the longer this goes on, Rob, the longer the fans don't come through the turnstiles, the longer we can't sell matchday hospitality and advertising and sponsorship. The longer that goes, the, the much more difficult it becomes for everybody. and I think that's the message that football clubs have been trying to get out there publicly for the last four or five weeks that. You know, as much as we have to be completely mindful of this pandemic and, and respect the pandemic and respect the jobs and roles that people within government have, uh, there's also a, you know there's got to be a realisation that you know th- this is this is really 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 tough times for for these businesses, football clubs, um, and and if there's a, a happy medium there, we can. You know, protect ourselves and be safe, but allow us to try and get some income back into the, the clubs through gates and other means and revenues. Then that's something that we should look to do. And I've been obviously encouraged by some of the news today coming out that, that that there may be some there may be some movement on that. Hopefully, in the near future.
1: Okay, good to talk to you, and uh, and wish you all the best. And and sorry forcing you into telling you telling us that uh, stratospheric rise to stardom story, which obviously <laughs> you were very reluctant to tell us. Yeah. I've told enough off. Unfortunately, <laughs> good man. All um, the best. All the best. Yeah, good, 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 to good to speak to man. you. Thanks, guys. Good
0: Bye-bye. to talk to good you.
5: Time. News at six on the way. The Bull Radio Football Show. Let's go.
1: The big matches keep on coming. Celtic in France on Thursday, five to six kickoff against Lille. The joint French league leaders and Rangers play the Polish team Lech Poznan. At Ibrox, that's an eight o'clock kickoff Thursday. Group stages, Europa League. Scottish Cup semi-finals at the weekend. It's the Edinburgh Derby. At Hamden on Saturday, five o'clock kickoff. And on Sunday from two thirty, it's Celtic against Aberdeen for the second successive weekend. This time those two bidding for a place in the Scottish. Cup final ongoing and uh, coming to a conclusion Ali in Helsinki is Finland against Scotland how's it going
2: yeah there's just one minute left of extra time it's currently 1-0 to Finland over in Helsinki great shot from Leanne Crichton hit the post unfortunately just slightly wide but yeah they're currently a on the attack, Scotland, but uh, I don't think they're going to be able to get that extra goal.
1: Yeah, it's coming to a, a close. Uh, Craig Scotland, looking for four wins out of four, and now it looks as if the, the Finns are going to be in the ascendancy in that group.
3: Well, it does, but they still have the home game, and if they can better a one 0 result uh, w- with a home win, I think that could be enough to win the group if they win the rest of their games. I think is it the the, the nine group winners, the three the three best runners-up so Scotland still have a chance if they win the group or come second to go through and then they've got a playoff if they don't uh, become one of the best second places so they've still got plenty of opportunity to get to the Euros.
1: I'm going to bow to your greater knowledge on that one, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. Also talking today, of course, about Celtic, Neil Lennon has been hitting back today at all the criticism that's been coming his way for recent results. Uh, a media-driven frenzy is how he sees it, and he has certainly been having his say, as has a, a former Celtic director of football, a Celtic legend as a player as well, Kenny Dalglish, reacting to all the criticism that's been coming Neil Lennon's way
4: he'll be disappointed but then his hands are tied if you've got so many changes to make I mean to have three or four players with Covid it's not really their fault is it injuries we can't do much about you're only as good as the players that you have available and as long as the players are given everything they've got it's hard for you to be critical of anybody it's very easy to judge somebody over three games judge him over the four years he did before that judge him over what he's done since he's come back before you start hanging yourself and calling for anybody to be changed in any way shape or form he will be there for a while, and rightly so. You
1: know, Lennon has been so mm-hmm. successful, hasn't he, since uh, taking over from uh, Brendan Rodgers and just keeping the juggernaut moving and mm-hmm. picking up trophy after trophy. But uh, the football fan is fickle, as we know, Crags.
3: Listen, they absolutely are. You know, I said it earlier. The fact that Rangers are, you know, are slightly ahead, Rob. You know, they haven't been as big a threat in the last couple of seasons. They have been in certain spells, but there's a real general feel that. That Rangers are going to be a lot closer this year. They're going to maintain their level of performance. I just like Kenny's you know, Kenny's thoughts. He, he's just so calm and composed because he's from the outside looking in. He's not living in the heart of Glasgow and yeah. knowing what's going on reading <laughs> everything. So he's able to give probably a more balanced opinion of it, you know, a bit of calmness and composure. And that's what I'm talking about, the Celtic board and the directors. If they take themselves out of it and actually sit down and settle and, 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 and have a look at the bigger picture, they will have the same opinion as what Kenny Leash But ultimately, me, Lennon knows... In Glasgow, you've got to win football games. You know, second in Glasgow is last. That's always the saying, isn't it, between Glasgow Rangers and Glasgow Celtic. Second is last. And Neil will know that. He hasn't been last for a while. You know, 11 trophies out of 12 with potentially a 12th one coming up. So, yes, they're having a downturn. Yes, things haven't been as good as what it would like. But, you know, you have to back someone who's been there and done it before. Listen, he took the job second time around with a, on a hiding to nothing. The only way for Neil Lennon, you know, to make headlines when he took the job a second time round was to fail and not win that trophy and he hasn't it was the league title that season he won the league title he would on have won other cups. so patience is the key
1: He was together with the former Rangers manager Alec McLeish at Hampden uh, previewing the, the semi-finals of the Scottish Cup this coming weekend Hearts Hibs and, and Celtic Aberdeen and both obviously talking about the title race Rangers six points in front so Alec McLeish are Rangers favourites
3: I do and there'll be leaders in the dressing room as well as Stevie Gerrard, Gary McAllister who'll be uh, saying that we've got to keep this momentum relentless, ruthless and no slip-ups the way that they slipped in the last
4: two seasons.
1: So Kenny Dongleish are Rangers favourites?
4: If you take it strictly by figures Mm. obviously they're not. Rangers have better results than them but they're the second best and they won't settle for that They'll say they want to be back there and back there winning. And Next Sunday, is a great opportunity for them to get back. But in between, now and Sunday, they've got Lille away from home, which is a difficult game. They're joint top with the French League, with PSG. So that's not going to be an easy game. And it'll be, I don't think he'll gain much with the team that he puts out at Lille because I think he'll have a Sunday uppermost in his mind.
1: Alec McLeish Craggs mentioned the M word momentum Rangers have got it in bucket loads yeah. at the moment.
3: Well they do, but you know the question will always be through the Rangers do they have the mentality you know to stay on for a title race because under the, the previous two seasons with Stephen Gerrard they haven't had they've had glimpses where you thought they've turned the corner and they've always had a little blip. And lots of people are now sitting waiting for Rangers to have that bad result that little downturn in form and then the hysteria will move from one <laughs> side of the city to the other side of the city that's how it works yeah. so that's Alex right? you know the momentum and but but Stephen Gerrard and, and, and uh, Gary McAllister trying to drive into the Rangers players you can't slip up you've got to keep it going you've got to maintain your standards what Stephen has got this season is is a, a, a better pool of players where he can select two or three, Robbie, and leave some out, even from Thursday night to Sunday, Calvin Bassey coming in and playing.
1: Yeah, five uh, five changes uh, in f- the team.
3: Five changes, still getting the result, winning the game comfortably, and then probably be able to make the same five back to go to, uh, or, sorry, to play at home, to elect Poznan on Thursday night. So, it just looks at the minute that he's got a better balance of the squad. Players are fresher, players are hungry, because Celtic... But sometimes it, it looks that way when results are going against you, when players are struggling for form and they're just grinding through games. Celtic look to me like they're grinding through games, are a little bit sluggish in games, but once they can get you know a, a couple of wins together to try and kick them on. But the pressure's on Rangers. Rangers go to Kilmarnock this weekend, and I was having a look before we came on. Under Stephen Gerard, Gerrard, Kilmarnock are the club or the side where they have dropped most points. They've dropped 13 points against Kilmarnock and his two and a bit seasons they haven't right. played in this season yeah. you know I think Steve Clark's last season uh, in charge he didn't beat them in the league
1: Yeah, and these things do matter don't exactly. they because, of, because it's bad memories
3: correct well that's why this weekend going to Kilmarnock it, it, it's a big game for two reasons because they can go nine points clear but also they have to go and get rid of the Kilmarnock hoodoo where they've went and they've struggled and they've come up against it and Morello's been sent off and, 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 and they've lost games they've played poorly you know, last season, I think that, uh, it was the uh, Golson and Catech get muddled up and they were away a poor goal. So, bad memories. So the players will think to themselves, that's another hurdle we have to get over. Not to play Lech Poznan, but league-wise you're talking, another hurdle they have to get over where Stephen Gerrard can just convince the players even more, Rob, that they are on the right track. If they go and have a bad result, suddenly all the, blad, all the bad memories come back and the negativity and the fear starts to come back. And at the minute when you're winning games, football's easy. But it's when you have adversity how you bounce back.
1: Yeah, we're talking there about Rangers recruitment. Alec McLeish had his say as well on what Stephen Gerrard has added to the squad.
3: The, the strikers was, was a big factor last year because when Morelos was out, Defoe wasn't quite ready. He had a wee injury or something. He wasn't quite... Let's face it, Defoe's getting to the, the end of his career. A phenomenal goal yesterday. <laughs> Give him that chance, he'll still score. The recruitment of the two strikers seems to be a bit of good business. We've not seen much of it in yet, but the the roof uh, goal the other night was an indication of what that guy can do.
1: Final score in Helsinki. Uh, Finland 1, Scotland 0 in that uh, women's uh, European qualifier. Uh, big effort from Shelley Kerr's team, but ending in defeat. Uh, Finland coming out on top in on that one. Back to what Alec McLeish was talking about there and, and uh, squad improvements, which... It's been a it's been a long process, hasn't it, for for Stephen Gerrard. This is not about a transfer window. This is about two years approaching two and a half years of putting pieces in a in a jigsaw puzzle, which is looking pretty impressive at the moment.
3: Well it is, and that's where you've got to back the loyalty of the board. You know, first of all for their support, uh, but also for their financial input. You know, it would have been easy for the Rangers Board to say, you know what, you've had enough. Now you've got your players, you've got to go and try and push on with it. But they, they know what it means. They feel as if they're on the right track with the manager. They gave him a long term deal just before Christmas last year. So they're quite happy with how things are going. So if he's asking for money and he's telling them he's going to move them forward, then this season had to be the one for them. But Alec touched on it there competition for places. You know, even though we're talking about players making, or coming in, in yard and Stephen Jarre making five changes, if you're that player passing the jersey over, you're thinking, I hope he doesn't play too well because I want to play the next game. And suddenly there has to be that fear into your play that if you're not up to scratch, you're losing your place and you might not get back in for a few weeks. So having that competition known, I think now he's got two players for each position, maybe slightly more in, in some positions. But in the forward area, you know, Ryan Kent and Roof and, and Itten and Morelos, there's lots of competition. There really is. And defensively, he doesn't change an awful lot. You know, he brings Hollander and, and, and Balogun, change over now and again. But Tavernier plays, Goulson plays. Uh, McGregor plays, so he's got that consistent base and, and, and Barasic more often than not plays, whereas Neil Lennon, you look at Celtic, they're piecing together and trying to fit things in and you can't just do it sometimes, Robin, it works it takes a little bit of time for it to gel and work whereas Rangers have more continuity defensively, you know, hence the reason they've only conceded three goals in, in 12 league games, but as I say, the jury's still out, unless they can maintain that over, you know, they've done over 12 or 14 games at the start of the season league titles and trophies aren't handed out in October if they're still there, they're about to march and April and May, then you can say, well, this is a proper title challenge.
1: And how big a factor do you think in Celtic's recent hiccup, if we call it that, some would see it as a lot more than a hiccup, um, has been the, the disruption, the squad disruption, the COVID, um, the COVID situation which has affected El Hamed and Beaton. Julian has got a back injury. Mm-hmm. Um, Edouard has been missing now for quite a while. Ryan Christie's back. But he missed two weeks, mm-hmm. so he's obviously not going to be as sharp as he was. How, how, do, what, how do all these things add up? Do
3: you know what? It's so the one thing Neil Lennon hasn't really come out and blamed. He hasn't come out and said, oh, well, what about this and what about that? He's just got on with it. He's took the flack. He said, you know what? I'm the manager. I know what's at stake. I know I've got a squad. I think the players that have come in haven't been up to scratch. They haven't delivered what the previous players have. Haven't they like, James Forrest out as well with yeah, an injury. That was, yeah, that was the one I you didn't know, mention. So, yeah. so when you talk about Neil Lennon getting his best side on the pitch... Stephen Gerrard has probably had a, probably had his best side on the pitch more often than not this season compared to Neil Lennon. So he's trying to piece together and put it together and, and trying to work out a system and a setup where he can be more reliant on the players and he can get better results. So if he had his full players fit, would they be more competitive? Would they have pushed Rangers more in the, in the Old Firm game? Probably yes, they would have. Would they be more competitive against AC Milan? Yes, they would have been. And people will talk about systems and setups. A system doesn't work. Well, the system worked last season. They've done it previously. You know, sometimes it boils down to individual areas. You look at Celtics, those three games, two goals against Rangers, two crossballs into your box. Didn't defend them well enough. Against the AC Milan, a crossball into the box for the first goal, counter-attack for the second goal, and the third goal was Shane Duffy not being able to defend the 1v1 in the edge of his own box. You then go to Aberdeen. Two penalty kicks, because in champs in the wrong position, and Carol McGregor dives in and gives away a penalty. And the other one was... Who got the other goal for Aberdeen? Was the down the left-hand side, another cross into the box. Yeah. So it's not as if they're being you know I'm saying really outplayed they're not defending their 18 yard box well enough you can talk about box to box or about football and it's great you know the build up play and it's lovely to watch it's great if you don't defend your box well enough from crosses or imagine runs into the box you're going to be in trouble and over those three games Celtic didn't defend their 18 yard box well enough and that's why they've shipped eight goals in
1: three games and meantime, Rangers have uh, embarked on a 16-game unbeaten run. I think 13 clean sheets in that time as well, uh, both in domestic football and European as well. Here's assistant manager Gary McAllister.
5: Oh, we're, in a, we're in a good place. The thing for us is we've got a big squad. You know, we've got a massive schedule. You know, and we've been able, you know, with, because of the way the results of, of, of went and the way some of the performances went, we managed to get players. Minutes, players that are coming back from, from injury, Joe Arebo back on the pitch scored today. Scotty Arfield getting rested, you know, so it's, there's going to be little bits of rotation. And so, and, and everybody's playing a part. It's not going to be 11 players moving forward to keep this good run going. It's going to be a, a real squad effort.
1: And as we were saying, they changed half the team for, for that win against Livingston at the weekend. They cruised it. I mean, they got a couple of early goals and that was it, really. Uh, job done. There wasn't really going to be any coming back in that game from, from Livy. Uh, Rangers move six clear and six could become nine this weekend. Well, that has
3: to be the you know, natural outcome for Rangers for them really to try and twist the knife or you know, really try and put the pressure, ramp up the pressure on the Celtic when things aren't going well for them. I think they go to Motherwell as well before their break. And Celtic have had a really tough run. They've got a few away games. So Rangers have to look at any opportunity that comes along. Can they just increase their advantage that little bit more? I mean, he talked about Joe Rebo coming back. Joe Rebo was terrific in pre-season. We watched him against Coventry, I think we watched yeah. him, Rob, and he scored a wonderful goal and just this whole build-up play. So for, for to lose him for that spell and still be as productive now he's coming back into the squad Scotty Arfield who hardly played in pre-season is now thinking I'm a mainstay he's been absolutely terrific since he came in I think back to when he hadn't really played and how he must have trained and the way he went about his business he would have been the dream player for Stephen Gerrard just to put him in and go and get the good form. K- uh, Kemar Ruf is also back. He's been yeah. out missing for a little while as well. morello has
1: um, got rested. And we haven't yeah. seen Zungu yet. And
3: you haven't seen mm. Zungu yet. So it just shows you, they are really ramping up the pressure. But ultimately, it all boils down to winning games. No matter how you win them, go and win the games. If they could beat Lech Poznan, six points in the Europa League, that would be a really, really um, impressive, comfortable start. And then it's on the Komarnik. Three points from there, takes it to nine, and suddenly the pressure starts to stay on the other side of the city.
1: Yeah, big games on uh, Thursday night in the Europa League. Uh, The one that Stephen was just talking about, the Rangers against Lech Poznan, is part two of the double bill. That's an eight o'clock kickoff at Ibrox, preceded by a tough one for Celtic. They are going to have to be on good form in France against the joint league leaders, Lille, which isn't easy to say. A five to six start for that one. This is the Go Radio Football Show.
5: The Go Radio Football Show. Let's go!
1: So defeat for Scotland's women sadly in Helsinki 1-0 they lost in the Euro qualifiers lots of big games coming up in the course of the week Leal Celtic and Rangers Lech Poznan on Thursday Uh, Saturday for Hearts and Hibs in the Scottish Cup semi-final Celtic and Aberdeen go head-to-head on the Sunday for a place back at Hamden as well and uh, three Premiership games at the weekend Dundee United, Ross County Livingston against Motherwell and Sunday for Kilmarnock and Rangers We've been speaking about at the chance uh, for Rangers to go nine points ahead at the top of the Premiership and at that stage Celtic will have two games in hand. We've been hearing from Neil Lennon in the course of the show he's been talking today and hitting back at uh, the criticism that's been coming his way Uh, more of that about the hysteria as he sees it in the last 15 or 20 minutes of the show but he's also been speaking about the criticism that's been forthcoming for his uh, signing from uh, Brighton the English Premier League defender Shane Duffy's been getting some stick and this was Neil Lennon's take
5: I mean he just needs to find his feet really it's been quite a tumultuous start for him I thought before the international break you know we won eight games in a row and kept four clean sheets I thought he was settling in quite well he's just had a, a bumpy week nothing more nothing less it, it happens I'm not happy about the treatment he's getting from certain quarters in the media so I think that's Totally unbalanced and unfair and hysterical. And he's a quality player. And um, he made a mistake at the weekend, apart from Matt. For the first half, he was absolutely excellent. But this personal, constant banging of the drum with individual players is
1: unacceptable. And it's, it's driven by certain quarters of the media. He has my full support. I should say we're going to be speaking uh, shortly to the former Celtic striker Pierre van Hooydonk who scored the winner for Celtic in the 1995 Scottish Cup final Uh, so if you've got any questions or anything you'd like to say to him we will pass that on when we speak to the big uh, Dutchman uh, very soon but let's uh, talk a little bit more about Shane Duffy Craggs and uh, hysterical is a word that's been popping up very regularly in the course of his media conference today for Neil Lennon and he he sees that one much the same way the, the criticism that's been coming for uh, the Republic of Ireland skipper?
3: Listen, I think because he was such a high-profile signing. You know, he arrived with a reputation of being a good defender. We spoke about it lots of times, Rob, that he was different than what Christopher Iyer and Christopher Julian were. We thought he was more aggressive in the air. He liked to make bodily contact. You know, he was going to be that guy that in the middle of the back three, if the ball came into the box, he would be the powerhouse that would go and head it away. So when I touched on earlier about some of the goals they've conceded and where they've conceded from... In the middle of the six-yard box, in and around the six-yard box, that'll be disappointing for Neil Lennon because he'll want to, he will have wanted Shane Duffy to be that player to stop that. Um, listen, you can't stop people criticising, but I think when it gets personal, um, there's absolutely you know no no need for it whatsoever. No. people talk about wages and people talk about money. That is completely irrelevant. Judge him as a player in the pitch, you know, and I think that's the only fair way to do it. No doubt about it, he's been a little bit sluggish sometimes. Um, I'm not sure he's underestimated Scottish football. Oh, well, I, I was, just, I was yeah. going to
1: say, has he been taken aback, well, do you think, about what Scottish football has to offer? Well, Scottish football,
3: is, 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 the intensity is up there, Rob. People talk about the quality all the time. The game is intense. You know, it's fast and furious and it's kept going. Um, what's probably helping the away teams and whatever have you going to Celtic Park is they don't have the intimidating atmosphere, so maybe they can get after Celtic a little bit more. As a defender at Celtic, again, I said earlier, you've got to play higher up the pitch. So teams are throwing the ball down the side a little bit more. There's more longer clearances going in behind you. That's probably not his natural game. That's not what he has probably been brought up on. It's defending so high up the pitch. So they've been throwing balls down the side. Um, he's been done or, or he's been beaten in a couple of one v one situations. It's rocked him a few times. Teams are trying to use pace down that side. So that stuff he has to adapt. He's a twenty eight year old international defender. So I've no doubt he will adapt and he will understand what's going on. But I think just to dig out one player seems very unfair. Um, there is obviously you know people want to point a the finger um, they're quite happy to write people off and write players off very easily so I mean he hasn't been arrogant he hasn't been ignorant he hasn't come up and kind of you know, push Scottish football aside he's come up and got on with his job he's made a couple of errors and when you play for Celtic unfortunately when you make errors are going to get highlighted and people are going to talk about you but when it goes into the personal stuff and you talk about his finances and you talk about how much he's earned and what he's done I think that's very unfair judge him on his game if he's had a poor game he's made a mistake talk about the mistake don't talk about everything else that you have absolutely no influence over
1: I think maybe some people have been surprised because he arrived here with this reputation as a defender who defends. You get what it says on the tin. Um, he'll just knock the ball upfield. He'll get rid of it. He'll defend it. He'll he'll put the ball and player in the stand if necessary. That type of that type of centre back. Um, so when you see him uh, hesitating, dallying as he did at Pataudry, uh on Sunday. Uh, and not putting the ball in the stand when there was the chance to do do just that, I guess you know people are raising their eyebrows.
3: Yeah, because what happens sometimes is, is you try and change your game, you know. With and I'm talking about he will spend more time in the ball. He will have to make more passes. He will have to step into the game a little bit more and try and pick people off, which again, he might not have had to do when he was at Brighton, when he was at Blackburn, and he was at Everton as a kid. I, I listen, I'd imagine Everton you would have, but when you start playing first team football, it isn't all those teams don't dominate the ball as much as what Celtic do. So then when the ball is over your head, you're thinking, I'm going to be trying to turn it, I'm going to be trying. So suddenly you become a little bit indecisive when really now Neil Lennon should be saying to him, just simplify your game. Anything in and around the final third of the pitch, if it's not on, don't try and play, don't try and take a touch, just do what, what I brought you here to do which was defend first and foremost. So I think everything put together, you want to try and impress people and he's maybe making the wrong decisions trying to impress too much because he really wants to bring it down. He wants to step into the game and you think, no, go and be a defender first and foremost. They've changed him what, a four to a three, back to a four. Again, and he's got different partners, different people out beside him. So all this comes into it as well. But listen, he's not a kid and he will know himself you know the weight that carries when you play for Celtic, the weight on that jersey and the scrutiny you come under on that jersey. So he'll be disappointed more than anyone else. He's not going out of his way to make mistakes and allowing people to criticise him. He hasn't really had the chance to answer back. His chance to answer back is when he's playing in the team and that's what I expect to see him bouncing back.
1: Shane Duffy wants to be a a darling of the Celtic support and there's plenty of time to do just that. Let's talk to a man who was certainly a a darling of the Celtic support, really popular when he was with the club. It was a a short spell, but it was a pretty spectacular spell in terms of uh, scoring goals as well for Pierre van Hooydonk. Hi, Pierre. Hello, guys. How are you? Very well. How are you? Not bad at all. Not bad. Are you in the agency business still, Pierre? No 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 no. Not no, any. Not any. Not no, 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 no. Uh, what what what, yeah, do, what do you do these days? I
8: I uh work as a pundit for let's say the Dutch BBC okay. when we are having every Sunday evenings our um uh, our talk show about the Dutch league and um our national national team.
1: Were you surprised at that result uh, for Rangers against Willem Twee? Uh, and, and Holland? Did that raise some eyebrows? Uh,
8: no, but but uh, the 4-0 score was in my opinion a little bit uh, too much uh, if you look back at the game and, and uh, Willem 2 were quite good last year in the Dutch league and they didn't really change that many players for this season so yeah, people were were hoping or thinking that uh, they they probably could uh, could have surprised uh, Rangers, but uh, they didn't. And I think Rangers took the chances really well, and, and quite quickly uh, the game was all over.
1: How fondly do you remember your time with Celtic?
8: Oh, uh, I had I had two fantastic years. I mean, it was my first foreign experience, and. Uh, actually when i when i signed for the club i i had no clue uh yeah where i was going to uh of course uh, <laughs> i i knew where, where scotland was i knew where glasgow was and, and of course i had heard about celtic and rangers uh aberdeen uh, because of the fact that they had some some players uh, playing for them uh but that was it and yeah, uh, the way turn, uh, uh, things turned out for me was, was uh, I think, fantastic. If you uh, sign for a club in January and, and uh, in, in five months' time you're playing a FA Cup final and you scored a winning goal, uh, the first trophy after six years. Um, and, and yeah, you see what it meant to the, to the people, to the players who were there already for a long time. Uh, who had gone uh, through a very uh, hard spell, yeah. Then you realise uh, how big uh, the club the club is.
1: Yeah, it was a, it was a massive moment that wasn't it? You signed for Celtic in January nineteen ninety five, and then in the May you were scoring that winner, the only goal of the game against Airdrie uh, in the Scottish Cup final. Uh, and as you say, uh, it means so much more, doesn't it? when, when you've waited such a long time, uh, six years, as you say, Pierre, for a trophy.
8: Yeah, of course, and and I was not really known about the fact uh, how how bad these uh, last six year six years were, um, because I just I didn't see anything uh, in Holland on the television the, uh, these days about the Scottish league, so I, I just uh, entered completely naked, you know, regarding know-how uh, about the Scottish game and. Yeah, for me it was it was like uh, a final coming up, but everybody was was just talking about the fact that they had lost just uh, the league of final against Raid Rovers and and it was such a long time for a club who was used uh, used of winning trophies that uh, that they had won something.
3: Pierre Tommy Burns was the manager on that day, is that right? Tommy was a great man. Tommy was a great football man, wasn't he?
8: Yeah, he was. He was. Uh, he was my first, uh, let's say, people's manager. Uh, of course, he had a good idea about how he wanted to, his team to play football. But he was uh, he was a warm character, and uh, the way he looked after his players for me was, uh, and I can say now after my career is finished, was was quite unusual. I've never seen. Uh, uh, a manager who was uh, so close with his players but when necessary he could
1: he could act the boss he was funny he was a funny man tommy yeah. browns wasn't
8: he yeah 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 it was a tommy was a was a good laugh definitely and uh yeah I, I really enjoyed my uh, my spell with him. I, I had also my fallout with him uh when when he le- when he left me uh uh out of the team because of my argument with, with Fergus but uh at the end of the day we we knew exactly uh how things were and, and we respected each other uh very well and and you know if you really have an argument um uh, with somebody, and and that person thinks that you are a real asshole, then uh, he doesn't invite you uh, when your career is finished to come over to Glasgow uh, these days with my son uh, to show me around at uh, at the train at the new training ground, uh, have lunch uh, in the city. You know, we we yeah we we both knew that, that we just had a good relationship with each other and and that's that stayed uh, all the way along,
2: Pierre, you scored a, a huge amount of goals in your career, but can you remember your first goal for Celtic? How memorable was that for you?
8: Uh, that was for me it was of course uh, when you score after nine minutes in your debut the, the, that is a, a dream come true, but uh, I think that that goal. Probably gave the Celtic fans the idea that they had not signed Van Uyde, but had signed the the cousin of uh, Romario. <laughs> it were, it were, if I look at all the goals that I scored, I think there is not one of them who looked a b- little bit similar than than that goal. Because I'm not, I was never a dribbler, so I, I, I never did that. But that ball, I remember, was just a long kick from uh, Mike Galloway and that that bounced somewhere I think 30 yards from goal and I, I picked it up and, and was uh, turning left and right and, and all of a sudden I didn't know what to do anymore and then I just went for it and ended up straight in the top corner. It was probably one of my best goals in my career.
1: The the rest of your goals at Celtic might not have been like that one Pierre but, but you did score 32 didn't you the following season?
8: Yeah, the, the following season, we, our team changed completely. And, and uh, in the team actually that won the, the Cup, uh, I think that, that was not at the standard that you should expect uh, when you talk about Celtic. But when Tommy uh, started in that summer, after that uh, Cup win, started to, to bring in uh, new players... I, then then we really became a very attractive side who was scoring goals for fun and, and was I think a, a joy for the fans to watch And uh, Andreas Stome came in uh, later um, uh, George Cadet uh, McNamara came in uh, Alan Stubbs arrived uh, John Hughes Morten uh, Yeah, Tosh McKinley was already there Boydie was there. Uh, yeah, we Simon Donnelly was there. We, we uh, Di Canio came just a little bit after them. But yeah, we had. I think we we had a very attractive uh, team to watch.
1: The fallout with Fergus McCann, It wouldn't have been about money or anything, was it?
8: No, no, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, yeah. Uh, unfortunately. Uh, we play professional football, and in professional football, you have you have to look after yourself, uh, and and that is what I did uh, mm-hmm. because I felt that Fergus had taught me uh, something else uh, when I uh, the moment when I signed, and yeah, if if uh, I I can be the nicest guy on earth, but I become a, a devil when people. Are not fulfilling their uh, promises.
1: Did you feel and that is what happened? Did you feel let down by him?
8: Yeah, of course, because he he, he thought that he was uh, was being smart by just waiting to uh, reopen the negotiations about uh, about the contract. Because in these days the Bosman factor was ju- just just uh, just entered uh, the football world. So, by, by dragging on um, these negotiations, uh, yeah, it went to, let's say, uh, one and a half year before my contract was expiring. And then he didn't want to raise my contract, as promised, but he wanted to raise the contract and extend it. So, that was actually uh, yeah, the controversial uh, side of it.
1: So was it a disappointing way for your time at Celtic to end because it, it, it kind of fizzled out a bit in the end, didn't it?
8: Yes, yes, it did. Um, but what I just said to you, uh, I looked after myself. Um, I, when I was left out uh, for the iBox class, uh, the week after there was uh, an international break and I got a call up, we were playing Wales, I came on at a super 1-0 down. I scored uh, two goals in in five minutes. And that's how I uh, came back to Celtic. And then we were playing Motherwell at home. I scored a winner in in, in three minutes in injury time. Yeah, and and then the the problem started again. uh, And and, yeah, just I wanted to uh, stay in the national team. And I wanted to be in in France uh, for the World Cup in '98, and I, I I was left out. And I spoke with the manager, uh I at that time. And he told me, he said, "Okay, I will pick you. Uh, you have done a great job for us in in Wales, uh, and I will pick you if you just show you show that you on you are on form. Uh, if you don't play, then I cannot pick you." And we had a lot of uh, I had a lot of competition up front these days. Uh, uh, with with Clive, who was coming, uh, Hasselbank, we had Makai. Uh, Van Nistelrooy was not there yet. Yuri uh, Mulder was there. We had many many good strikers. So I was just happy finally to to have my feet uh, between the doorstep. So that's why I moved and and start to to play uh, in England.
2: Even though you moved, Pierre, do you still watch back at Celtic? Do you still keep an eye on them, see how they're getting on in the Europa League and in the domestic league at all?
8: Yes, um, because the thing is that when you uh, after two years you move from from Celtic, then you start to realize how massive the club is. When I was, for example, in in uh, in Nottingham, all the players that I came across with we're talking about uh, Celtic and the old firm and and who they supported so uh, then you go on holiday and and you you are in in Tenerife and and you pass by a, a Celtic pub and you think oh <laughs> well, you know it, it's 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 not uh, uh something that i uh, expected and and although the club had the european uh, cup success uh yeah if you look at it after that you know they 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 played uh, the, the final uh, in Seville against Porto but yeah it, it's not that they are, are winning trophies uh, on the trot uh, uh, in Europe but still they had so many uh, supporters everywhere in the world and and that makes you proud uh, as a player and and therefore yeah, I can say that that I'm I'm following Celtic. Uh, yeah, uh, since since the day that I left, and and yeah, uh, if possible, uh, and some games are showing live uh, on on Dutch television, then 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 I'm watching it. So yeah.
2: So you know what I'm going to ask now? Do you think they're going to win the league this year?
8: Um, I I I'm not immediately saying yes, uh but but I hope so and, and uh I think I'm I'm impressed uh, with ranges uh and but I also must say that the results are not uh, going Celtic's way for the last uh couple of games but they they uh, they were hit by a, a massive uh uh Covid storm of course uh what what really influenced the the quality of the site uh, especially in uh, in the old third match
1: and you uh, you you know all about the passion for football in glasgow Pierre and because of those uh, the results of the of the last week um neil Lennon's under a lot of pressure at the moment because sometimes the the reaction goes over the top
8: yeah but uh i think that there's also um it probably would have been a little bit different, uh, different if if it would not have been this season, you know, where things were not going so well.
1: Yeah, going for ten um, in a row.
8: Exactly. Uh, that uh, that doesn't help uh, Lennon at this moment in time. But uh, I think you should give Neil uh, the credits for uh, for what he has achieved, and, and uh, in my opinion, I'm so confident that he can do. Uh, the job for for Celtic this season, and people must be must be honest as well that that uh, the the Celtic situation with so many uh, players uh, uh, not able to play uh, that that happened also in in the team of uh, of my of my son who were top of the league in the in the championship and and uh, now they lost three on. Uh, uh, three in a row uh, because they 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 missed 5 or 6 uh, uh first 11 players so yeah. uh, that that is that is part of of, of football in these crazy times uh, where y- you can hit by uh, by a virus and and you you lose your 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 best players and then of course any team who is losing his best players uh, uh, will lose quality and, and, and lose uh, the chance of, of, of winning I think that is, that is, that is normal yeah. so everybody must must accept that and yeah we can, we can only pray that uh, it doesn't happen again and that everybody will be fit as soon as possible and healthy
1: Absolutely it's been really good to talk to you all the best, Pierre. You're welcome. A pleasure. All the best there. Thank
3: you. Cheers, Pierre.
1: Good, good, Pierre good evening. Okay, bye. All bye All the yeah. best, Pierre Van Hooydonk, on Glasgow's Own Go Radio.
5: The Ball Radio Football Show. Let's go.
1: Right, what have we had tonight? Well, we've had a little bit of everything as usual. The football conversation goes all over the shop on the Go Radio football show. We were talking football and mental health with Aaron Connolly earlier. We were talking Motherwell and Scottish football in the battle against Covid with Alan Burroughs, the, the Far Park chief exec. And we've just heard from uh, Pierre Van Hoydonk, the former Celtic striker. Good to hear him again. Some recollections of uh, playing for the club. Uh, An interesting crack to hear him saying that uh, he never realised how big a club it was and I guess lots of uh, lots of players are the same in this they don't realise how big it is until they go away
3: Yeah, and I think you, you see players that when you leave Celtic or Rangers there's not many, Rob, go up the way you know, anywhere else they go is a, is a down step it's the recognition, it's the worldwide um, credibility of the football clubs from both of them and I think you could just sense there that ideally he would like to have stayed a little bit longer and 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 created his own legacy, mm. but unfortunately, sometimes that uh, you know you just can't bridge that gap.
1: Do you think it was a slight different opinion with Fergus on uh, <laughs> on value? <laughs> well, I think when you get into an argument
3: with someone like Fergus McCann, there's only ever going to be one winner. You know, he was going to be ruthless in what his job was to try and make Celtic as successful as he possibly could. If he felt that Pierre Van Hoyden was going to be a, a, a stumbling block, but ultimately, you know, Pierre said he didn't you know, give him his word, or he did give him his word and he didn't live up to it. So, you know, I think when trust goes, it's very hard to maintain that relationship.
1: Big Pierre also uh, giving a vote of confidence to Neil Lennon. He obviously keeps a close eye on his old team and he's uh, given him uh, a show of support. Certainly Neil Lennon under pressure at the moment in terms of uh, results in the last week. And uh, while some of it, in, uh, in Neil Lennon's opinion, has reached the point of hysteria
5: i'm telling you it's media driven there's no question of that there's a narrative that everybody you know wants to see a change that's fine that's just the way of the world and um, the poison comes from either social media or it's picked up by you guys and put in your your reports or your articles or your your newspapers or whatever so i can't control that what i can't control is what goes on in the training ground players are solid they've made a really good start to the season a lot better than previous seasons when we've won trophies. But this season of all season is, you know, that's, for me, it's another season. Whether we're going for a 10th title or a first title or a fifth title, we want to win the title.
1: It's become poisonous, says Neil Lennon. And there's no doubt that um, we love the game, we love football, we love getting passionate about it, but sometimes it goes too far. It
3: does. And I think there's so many avenues for people to criticise, isn't it? You know, he talks about social media and about, press and the papers and I'm, I'm not pointing fingers at anybody because everyone's entitled to their own opinion Yeah. I just think it has to be balanced and there has to be a reason for saying it and there has to be a reason to back up what you're saying um, I think he'll feel a little bit better tonight that he's got it off his chest I think he uh, it's probably been frustrating him since the old firm game um, he's wanted to come out fighting I imagine the message he'll be getting, uh, giving to his players is we have to unite we have to stick together in this because as you can see from the outside we're not getting a lot of help we're not getting a lot of support so, if anybody's going to turn it round, it's going to have to be the squad of players that he has. And that has to be the driving message for them. Listen, Golden and Lille on Thursday night is going to be a tough one. Coming back, Aberdeen will have had a full week's recovery before they play in the Scottish Cup semi-final. So, it's a quick turnaround again for Celtic, depending on how Thursday goes. So, um, there's no doubt they're up against it. But when he looks around his dressing room, looks around his squad, he must get a bit of comfort and think, I've got good players in here. It's all sometimes just about turning that corner, getting that result... Maybe unexpectedly, like going to Lille, people are writing them off already, thinking, well, it's going to be a home win. If they can go there and get a good performance and good result like they did against Rennes last year in the Europa League, when people thought, you know, Rennes, you know, they're one of the top sides in France and and Celtic were far better than them. So if they can go and put in a performance and get a lift from that, suddenly the narrative he's, he's talking about and the mindset and the perception towards his team will change, but only his team can earn that.
1: We had a cross-section of callers on the show last night. Some blaming individual player performances, individual mistakes, blaming what COVID has done to the Celtic squad in recent times. But some were looking for Lennon out. We've lost one game in the league and, you know, pundits are talking
5: about me being two games away from the sack. Where that comes from, no idea. Um, Players getting singled out, players getting abused, players getting criticised. I think it's absolutely shocking if that's the way of the modern world, I'm glad I'm not a player anymore. And I'm glad I played when when I did 20 years ago. But um, it's all right, you know, saying you have to be strong and blah, blah, they are strong. They've proved that time and time again. And I have every faith in the players that we will have another, you know,
1: stellar season. It was a really good listen uh, this afternoon, uh, going for it big style, Neil Lennon at that media conference uh, with a captive audience of journalists in front of him. Uh, And he certainly sees this whole episode as being media driven.
5: You know, I've I've seen two newspapers run polls. I've never seen it before on whether I should be sacked or not. Never seen it before in 20 years I've been up here. So who's driving that? It's not the Celtic fans. And I think there are a minority of our support need to calm down need to let the, the players settle. It's been very disruptive the last few weeks. I'm not using that as an excuse, but you know, our form going into the international break with, compared to the form coming back out of it, it's it's different because of all the disruption that we've had. Now, fans may not want to buy into that. I can't agree with them, but I think it's far too early to be casting aspersions of the
1: team. If, if they can't enjoy this season, then I don't know what season they can enjoy. I just wonder if that is exactly what Neil Lennon has wanted for the last week or so. Craig has said that already. And what Celtic have needed as well in this yet another oh-so-important week for the club. They're in France on Thursday to play Lille in the Europa League and then they've got that Scottish Cup semi-final against Aberdeen on Sunday. Are we going to see a turnaround in Celtic's fortunes in the next few days? Uh, Time will tell us we're back tomorrow with the Go Radio Football Show thanks to Stephen and to Ali this is Rob McLean saying see you tomorrow at 5
7: The Go Radio Football Show Let's go